Sports are such a big part of all of our lives, from the big plays to the unforgettable games. They continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors and heroes of our time, when the game is finally over and the sport they love and worked their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. I have a very special guest today. He is a guy that I've followed from a distance. We played center in the NFL together at the same time, but I had never actually connected with him. I'm sure we've, I think we've played against each other a couple of times, but not directly because we both play the same position. Uh, he was a great center, one of the best in the league. His name is Eric Wood. He played for the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think he was drafted in the first round in 2009. I was drafted in 2010. I think we both of our careers ended in the same year. Um, his ended. In a very tragic way, actually. He's got a pretty fascinating story of how he ended up being forced out through injury. Um, and it was a real surprise for him. And I'm still probably I'm still going to have to process. Uh, I'm sure he's still processing because after I heard what happened and the way it happened and the way he was informed and the position he was informed in, uh, really wild. You'll find out all of that. He's going to share it with you. He provides a lot of tips and tools to help not only former athletes transition, but you know, really provide a lot of value in anybody's who's trying to reach their highest potential and find, you know, different practices and tools in the daily, daily practice. He has a really good morning routine, very similar to mine. And, you know, there's not, not a lot of secrets out there anymore. There's a lot of people who are very successful, who are very high achieving are doing a lot of the similar things. That's what I'm finding out. And so you have a lot to learn from this guy. Bring out your notepads, open your minds, open your hearts. And enjoy this episode with my good buddy, Eric Wood. Eric, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Dude, thanks for having me. I'm fired up. Yeah, man. It's been really cool. Like, uh, we both played center in the NFL, and I've obviously followed you from a distance, and it's really cool to finally connect. Likewise, man. And um, we both were centers for Ryan Fitzpatrick, so we have some common ground. <laughs> I watched a lot of your games because of that, because I've always stayed a Ryan Fitzpatrick fan. Loved the scrappiness that you played with. Loved how you finished plays. Like there's, a, I always say there's only so much you can control on a football field, but you can always control your effort. And what you did on a football field is contagious to other people. And it made the group's film look better because people are trying to match your finish. So I, I truly always respected that about your game. Thanks brother. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons I, I made it so long in the NFL because I was never the biggest or strongest. And uh, being undersized is difficult blocking these 330 pound D linemen regularly. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, man, like how can you not be a fan of him? He's an incredible man, incredible football player. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. He's such a good leader and just dude. Like before we get started, tell me about your favorite Ryan Fitzpatrick story. 
Oh gosh, what's appropriate for air? Uh, <laughs> that limits some of them, huh? Yeah, and, and and none of them just wildly inappropriate, just like slapstick locker room humor. But um, totally. favorite Ryan Fitzpatrick story, um, man. Well, we had back to back comebacks. We we started two games back to back where we were down twenty one and up, and came back and won both of those. And the second one was the Ryan Fitzpatrick squealing game. If you remember that when he got on, uh, and maybe they could attach a link or something to it, but, uh, he was on, he was mic'd up that week for NFL network and he was like squealing off the field, like a little girl. I literally have no idea how a dude with a beard that long could squeal that high pitch. Uh, and I, I just like my playing days with him all go back to that memory. How many years did you play with him? You actually like had some serious time with him, right? Yeah. Uh, when I got into the NFL, he was our backup quarterback in 2009. And then through the 2011 season, we played together and then we remained good friends. And then my first year out of the league in 2018, um, I went down and watched him play in Tampa. Mm. And, and so I actually got to see him from the stands as well, which was fun. I'd be interested to see like how many teammates Brian Fitzpatrick has actually had. I bet you he's played with almost every single player in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, there's so, there's so much transition in, uh, amongst teams and there's so much turnover that, um, He's I played nine, I think nine teams or something like ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. An NFL record throwing touchdowns for nine teams. And, um, you know, he shows up and he's productive and he's smart mm. and he treats people right. And he's a great leader. He's a great mm. teammate. He can be a backup. He can be a starter. I mean, he's an asset. He could essentially probably play as long as he wants to. Yeah, Totally. I feel like we could do a whole podcast just about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but maybe someday we'll do that. Uh, but let's get into your story and your journey. Um, talk a little bit about your football career, uh, where it started, um, where you played, um, and then we'll get into the journey through the transition out. Yes. Yeah, so I, I grew up on the west side of Cincinnati, little blue-collar area of Cincinnati, and um, I ended up having one scholarship offered to college to the University of Louisville. So obviously jumped on that one. And so I, I went and played a ball at, at U of L. Um, started 49 straight games there, never got hurt. I say that um, to preface what's coming and end up uh, first round pick to the Buffalo Bills in 2009 was my first season. And week 11, I do the Joe Theismann leg break. My second year in the league, I did a high ankle sprain on the same leg while I'm hobbling around out there to begin with. Third year, finally kind of playing back to my normal strengths and feel like I got my game back a little bit. Then we're at Dallas and I do ACL, PCL, lateral meniscus, which those new stadiums with the sports bars that you walk through, those are really cool until you go back through one injured. And I'm mm. just sitting there drinking a beer, watching you hobble through. Like, they don't know whether to, like, give you a five or say sorry. And so uh, I did that walk of shame down in Dallas. And then uh, my fourth year in the league, I did my MCL. So I missed time in every single year. And um, really – How many I, actual starts did you have during that four-year stretch? Um, well, I, a lot because I kept getting hurt in week 11, 12, or 13. Uh, so it was, like, late November I got hurt every year. Be, and and it was and like, those are like those are injuries that take the entire off season to recover from too, right? No doubt, I'm getting late season surgeries and all that, and yes, and then you're missing the spring. And it, it talk was, about the challenges with that because I know, like, I went through one major surgery. I went through obviously a lot of different injuries, and we'll talk about your neck injury too because I had a similar uh, late 
career neck injury that kind of led me to walking away from the game as well. But yeah, like the, the, when you get injured, I got injured in week four of my fifth year, blew my right knee out. And I wasn't even ready until the following training camp. And I was still just like 80%. So talk about that journey of having to do that every single offseason going through, you know, people say you hit the rookie wall because the seasons are so much longer than college. But then it's a full-time job trying to recover just to get ready for the next season. Right. I mean, it wasn't a lot of fun and I had never done it before. So my rookie year, I'm sitting in a hospital bed in Jacksonville, Florida, not knowing where my life is going. You know, I don't know a whole lot. All I knew is that they said I did the Joe Theismann leg break. And whenever anyone hears that, they know that that ended Joe Theismann's career. That was Lawrence Taylor. It was Monday Night Football. It was this huge deal. They showed it. And that's why it became the Joe Theismann leg break. And that offseason, I learned a lot about myself pushing through that and just fighting each and every day to come back from that injury. And uh, once I had heard that people come back from this and they come back stronger because you got the rod in your leg and all that, I knew deep down I would get through it. But, you know, I just believe in life. Like the more adversity you push through continuously, it gets easier. You build a foundation that you can always go back from and you gain perspective and you know, I hear it all the time on podcasts now and, and all that. It's like stuff happens for you, not to you. And I definitely mm-hmm. didn't have that mindset at the time. But looking back now, when we face challenges as a as former pro athletes like we are now, as washed up has been, but when we face adversity and like we can always draw back on those times that we push through. So no, there was there was not a lot of fun rehabbing those. You talked about blowing out your knee. The ACL and lateral meniscus took forever to come back from. And what they don't tell you when you do your meniscus is that if you choose to shave it, which they encourage because you get back to the field faster, you're going to slowly chip away at the cartilage on your knee. And so I battled knee swelling for another year and a half afterwards because my I didn't do the microfracture where the bones collide. It mm-hmm. just bruised the cartilage and tore the MCL or tore the meniscus are. And so I ended up having to get a stem cell injection, which salvaged my career and allowed me to play pain-free for a while because um, I, I was struggling to come back off that ACL. Like, I just felt so weak. I had no confidence in it. I felt like at any time it could just go because it did not feel nearly as stable as the other side. And But I, I come back from all those injuries, and, it, you know, I kept getting hurt about the same time, but people are falling on me. It's not like my body's wearing down. It's not like I'm coming up with a hamstring of bad back mid-year each year it's like people are falling on my legs but I still have these freak things that happen right you still like as a as a thinker you're like constantly evaluating everything and um so I switch up my training a little bit but I don't I think a lot of it's just luck in the NFL I talked to Joe Thomas about this and he had the longest strap the snap streak in NFL history he played over 10 years without missing a snap. And he's like, dude, a lot of it is luck. I mean, there's some awareness when people are coming around you to get get your legs out of the way. And he's like, I look like a fool on film sometimes, like skirting yeah. my legs away from a block and all that. When I remember watching Joe Thomas, and he definitely does have a heightened awareness of like being able to fall the right way and be like, oh, get away from me. And like, yeah. it was really fascinating to watch him. Yeah, so I'm kind of analyzing all of that. And then I go on to start 52 straight games, which at the time was the most for any active center in the NFL. And then I break my other leg on Monday Night Football in 2016. Come back from that. The Bills extend me before the 2017 season. So I get a contract extension. I'm the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps that year. We break a 17-year playoff drought in Buffalo, which I'll never win a Super Bowl as a player. 
And that sure felt like winning a Super Bowl. Mm. Compare it. I've never been in that situation. But as much uh, just negativity and just constant reminders that you would get about that playoff drought to break that drought uh, was absolutely awesome. And then um, after our final game, we, we lost down in Jacksonville in the first round of the playoffs. As you know, you get, go get an exit physical. Well, my wife was due with our, our second child, our son, any second. So going into the game, I, I wanted to win the game more than anything, but it was kind of a win-win. I was going to go now be able to be back for the birth of my son. So I just told him at exit physicals, I was the first alternate for the Pro Bowl. I said, hey, just clear me. I'm going to get out of here. I'm the only player that played the, every snap this season. Like, I'm getting out of here. And they said, well, you got some stingers. Let's check out your neck. And I said, my buddies in high school got stingers. Like, I, these are my first ones in my life. I'm sure I'm fine. Well, they had me get an MRI on my neck, and I found out in the delivery room from a phone call that my wife told me to answer uh, oh, wow. that, that my career was over. And there was no possibility for a return, even with surgery. And so I completely got the rug pulled out from under me. I, I was thinking, man, the bills are building for the future. Um, they were going to draft a quarterback in the draft. We had a high draft pick and we were going to, the bills ultimately traded up for Josh Allen. I'm thinking, here we go. We're going to get this big time franchise quarterback, Sean McDermott, Brandon being the GM. I mean, phenomenal people to be around. And I was so excited about my role with the team and all that. And at that moment, I now have my second child, a new son, and my career is over. Wow. So you like literally your son was born moments after you got that news? Yeah, my wife was crying when the nurse came in to say, hey, it's time to start pushing. My wife was crying, and the nurse was like, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. It's not going to hurt that bad. And my wife is so cool and calm, and she was like, it's not about the baby. (laughs) And uh, it's funny now. It wasn't as funny at the time. Oh, totally. man. I feel like I have to take a second to process that. Yeah. Because, like, that is some intense – I mean – how how did you deal with that? Like I, I know the the moment of like a birth. I mean, I have I my first kid on the way. I'm my my wife's four and a half months pregnant. I'm really excited about the journey. And I I've heard so many people telling me what a miracle that experience is. But to have to process that kind of that kind of you know news in such an acute kind of you know container. How did you process that? And like, what did the journey you know you know days after weeks after months after look like? You know, initially you think to yourself like, wow. Um, and I'm a man of faith. So I'm sitting there thinking like, man, God took football away, but he gave me a son who was just born healthy. And, um, you know, I had a brother that was born with severe cerebral palsy passed when he was 11, like to have a healthy son now born and all that. So you're extremely grateful in the moment. Um, and you know, from playing after the season, like if they talk, if they told you like at the very end of training camp, when you made the team, you put in all that work, like, Hey, your career's over. Like you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm setting up for the season. Like at the end of the season, you feel so terrible anyways. And yeah. preseason games and 17 weeks and an additional game in the playoffs, you're like, you're ready for it to be I, over I, at I some do, extent. I do feel beat up, you know? Yeah. And so you're like, Oh, maybe that was best. Maybe God's timing's perfect and all this. But then, you know, I had to tell my parents who are like, rooting for certain teams to make the Super Bowl so I can go back to the Pro Bowl and they're prepping like how are we going to get Garrett as a newborn down to the Pro Bowl and this and that and I'm sitting there hoping maybe some medical opinion comes back that says I can play I'm also 
feuding with the Bills over some contract money stuff now, which this organization had I, I only played for the Bills, had such a good standing with the organization. And now, you know, they fly me up for this press conference. And I just wanted to release the news myself, just so people didn't think I was walking away from the game on my own terms. Then news gets leaked beforehand that um, I chose to not play anymore. And oh, it's just a they did you like that, huh? I'm not saying it was the Bills or who got that information, but it was it was unfortunate the way it all yeah, came. Yeah, right, because let's put some context in that. Because you walking away, there's there's guarantees in contracts, especially when you have an extension later in your career when there's some guaranteed money. And you just signed this extension, right? Is that, I, you only played one year of it? Yeah. And so when you walk away, you almost, you don't, you don't even like not get the guaranteed money. You have to pay back like a prorated part of your signing bonus for the years that you didn't play. Whereas if you're injured and it's a season ending injury, you're almost guaranteed even more than that. Right? Yes. And with the teams, it's less about the cash and it's more about the salary cap too. You know, Mm -hmm. from a competitive standpoint, my first year out of the league, I had the second highest cap hit in the league for any center. And I wasn't even on the field for the Buffalo. Uh, Like I hated that forum. It was unfortunate. And, but that's the way it works. So like it was, there was just some uneasiness with the organization where like, I wanted to be there. I didn't choose this. And it was uh, just like, I didn't feel comfortable around and and all that's changed since. And um, I call Bill's games on the radios now and, have a great relationship with the team. And, and, and through all of that, I had the utmost amount of respect for everyone in the organization. Um, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, when I told them the news, I was like, Hey, we're still trying to find some doctor that'll clear me. And they were so sympathetic and understanding. And I mean, you, you don't think of it when you think of football circles, but you got three grown men crying about, you know, mm. a one year relationship. You know, they had just got to the Bills. I mean, they're, they're remarkable human beings. They truly are. Um, but that put me on a journey to find out what what's next because um, I found out quickly I'm not a stay-at-home dad. Uh, I can't just be kind of floating day by day. You learn quickly as a retired NFL player that you miss the, the schedule. You know, you mm. miss things kind of regimented. Um, your purpose when you're playing – is essentially to try and be the best in the world at what you're doing to keep your job, keep your standing, be better, whatever it is. And you kind of lose that like singular focus. Like, although man of faith, a husband, a dad, and I wanted to be great and all those things as well. Like when I woke up in the morning, I knew I had to train. What can I do to be a better football player? If it was a rest day and I'm just sitting around watching TV, well, I'm recovering. Well, mm, resting with the best of them, right? Yeah. Now, if you're just sitting around on the couch watching TV as a stay-at-home dad that, you know, wants to be working but doesn't know where, doesn't just kind of floating through life, well, then you can drive yourself nuts. And mm. so um, it, was, it was a tough first year out, and I grew a lot as a person, found out a lot through friendships and conversations and just trying to figure it all out. And I, I, I still feel like years later, this is my third season out, I still – feel like I'm still trying to figure it out. And uh, maybe that's just life in general. Everyone's on a mission to figure out. Yeah. You know, that's what I've realized. It's like the purpose and trying to figure out who we are and what we are without this thing we put so much time and energy into is a fluid process. And I've realized it's not about like moving on from it. It's about how can we integrate this experience into who we are and honor that. And there is this like 
you do have to go through this grieving process of loss, which I didn't think I didn't think I need to because I walked away on my own terms. And then when I walked away, I realized how much like it was a part of my life. And I think a piece of me was almost kind of running away from really feeling that into the grieving process and really like honoring it and letting it go and celebrating it. And I, I actually talked to someone the other day on this podcast and he was saying, you know, like the top 5% of the league that are lucky enough to have this illustrious career and then they walk away and they have a press conference. The team throws them a press conference, which is very rarely happens because usually guys move around and they don't play and they're always kind of continuing to play and they have this celebration of their career. Right. And it's almost like this, this ritual or the ceremony of honoring the past, celebrating it and then moving on. And he mentioned most guys don't do that. And I was like, yeah, even if you're, you know, play one year and you get hurt, you should still celebrate what you accomplished. And even the act of celebrating and having this moment of honoring the past and even properly grieving it does allow you space to move on almost and integrate that into you. And I definitely missed that until a couple of years later when I finally was like, man, like I need to just really like let this go. And like I cried and processed and like, it's just, it's one of those things that you'll never, ever get back. No doubt. And one of the things it's become a running joke in our household that I can't throw myself a retirement party. So I'm still waiting on my wife. To <laughs> now we had a mini, like when I went up to Buffalo to announce that my career was ending, there was a, four, a few former teammates that came in. Cause I told them Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we mentioned was one of them who came in um, and a number of other guys came in. I had some buddies come up and all that. So, but to me, that was me announcing the injury. That wasn't me na- announcing retirement. Um, mm. cause we didn't know everything that was coming about. It was just simple. It was going to get leaked. So I wanted to get ahead of it. And so I've never had the retirement party or any of that. And so it's at this point, it's kind of become a running joke. Maybe at some point, if there's an accolade that comes in Buffalo or at the university of Louisville, maybe we turn that into something, but Mm -hmm. I I agree 100% because as a football player, you're so ingrained to try and strive for a bigger contract, a new, whatever it may be. Uh, I want to be a captain. Okay. Well now I'm captain. I want to be a pro bowler. Okay. I want to be all pro. I want to be a hall of fame. There's always something else. So it's so hard unless you truly pull the Peyton Manning. I'm out. See you later. Mm -hmm. I, you know, the John Elway left on top moment, then you mm. always, um, there's always unfinished like business, right? you, don't, you don't deserve to celebrate. Yeah, totally. And you almost need to have that piece of you to reach that kind of level of success in the NFL. I mean, like even a guy like Tom Brady, like he's one of the greatest of all time. And the reason he shows up every year and continues to win Super Bowls is because he's not satisfied. There's this piece of him that needs more, right? Yep. So when you were done playing, how did that, let's talk about that first year, you know, you're done, you're, you're not ready to be done. You're kind of forced out from this injury and you see your teammates taking the field. Like, how did you process that? And what was that journey like? Yeah. The first time that I really had that like FOMO moment, like I felt like I was truly missing out on something was when they reported back in the spring and the bills posted a bunch of pictures on social media. And that was mm. the first time I saw them assembled when I wasn't there. And that was just a, such a weird feeling. Um, and, and I was fine with it. And like I said, I had peace with it. I had so many people pouring into me and, and there for me. I don't want to act like I was, you know, on this deserted island, you know, what was me. But that was a tough moment to see them like that. And to your point about finding something to compete at, because you're just so ingrained as a professional athlete, what can I compete at? Well, I knew I needed to lose some weight. I had six lower body surgeries while I was playing. I was 
force feeding myself to stay around 305 to 310 which I would spike weigh-ins on Fridays. And then probably <laughs> I probably played closer to 303, 304, and weighed 310 on Friday mornings. Um, but I knew I wanted to peel that weight off. So I did a weight loss competition against a buddy. I lost 53 pounds in four months or something. And just not, not starving myself, but just trying to get to a healthier, something where I could maintain an active lifestyle with my wife, my kids, and all that. So that gave me a little competitive juice. Well, then when that wore off, it's, it's always going to try to be something next. And, um, I have a podcast as well. I'll take this time to plug it. It's called what's next with Eric Wood. Joe will be a guest on there as well. Mm. And so through the podcast, that gave me something to kind of pursue. And then I I work for ESPN and ACC network. I do the Buffalo bills radio stuff. and, And I really enjoy that. It's great being around the game. But the competitor in you is like, okay, now where can I go in this business? Is this exactly where I want to be? Is this a stepping stone to something else? And I just feel like God's been connecting some incredible dots in my life. I feel like this conversation is one. You know, it's just, I just feel like I'm through the podcast and just through the way life works, I've just been connected to just phenomenal people over these last few years that I've just learned a tremendous amount from. Yeah. What a time to be alive where we're able to connect with so many amazing people. and. Um, through these kind of mediums, like this is all so fresh and so new in our kind of reality in our society. And it's cool to be able to plug into it. I want to talk a little bit about the weight loss. Um, you know, talk about maybe some of the, the tools or techniques or some things that you use to kind of shed that weight, some advice for people that might be struggling with that. And then I want to get into maybe, because uh, this is something I struggle with still is my eating habits, right? Like, to be 300 pounds, we needed to stuff our face. And for 16 years of my life, I'm constantly like, I never felt hungry because if I felt hungry, I knew I was doing something wrong. And so I always had to stuff my face. And so one of the hard things for me now, even though I've lost a lot of weight, I'm sitting around 245. I still deal with body image issues. And I still feel like I, it's so one of the most difficult things for me to do is stop eating before I'm full. And I just like have this need to like stuff my face. And it's almost animalistic when I start eating and I like until I feel that full feeling, because that full feeling used to be like, I had to be in that constant state of feeling full to be able to keep that kind of weight on. So talk about your journey with the weight loss and, and kind of how you deal with maybe some body image issue stuff, if you do deal with that or not now. Dude, you are a hundred percent spot on with all of that, with how I felt about it too. So when my career was done, it was, so every day I started when I was playing ball off season, in season, every day I started the day with a calorie dense shake, some supplements, creatine stuff to keep the weight on. Night be, right before bed, same deal, meal and all that. And I knew throughout the day, I just had to crush food. And like, I would go out to practice feeling so full. And now that I work out on an empty stomach, I'm like, why did I do that? And how did I do that? But like, same deal. I had to be full all the time to get, to keep the weight on, to keep the job. Because in Buffalo, they were always on me about, Eric, we need you to keep the weight on. We need you to keep the weight on. I knew I was going to be able to get it off. When I broke my leg my rookie year, I weighed 316 the Friday before my first game. I had to go in the hospital about two weeks later for dehydration and some other stuff. Um, And they put me on a scale and I was 278. So I I knew when I was done, I wanted to lose the weight and I probably was going to be able to, but it's the habits. And so for Mm -hmm. me, I started doing intermittent fasting because it was simply such a routine for me to just walk in the pantry, grab something to walk out all day long. And, and for so long, for 15 years. So, um, yeah, it was, it was literally 15, 16 years for me that I tried to keep on weight exact time frame as you. And from when I was a junior in high school on, 
And so for me, I started doing intermittent fasting where I would only eat from maybe noonish to maybe six or seven or eight. Um, and, and, and I would do that most days. And that, that helped me create new habits where I wasn't just going to the pantry all the time. I'm exactly like you, Joe, my first year out when I lost 53 pounds really fast and, you know, down 60 ish at the time, I did a, uh, an eating contest at a steakhouse here and just a gluttonous uh, display. I ate 86 ounces of beef, um, a twice baked potato, a salad, veggies and dessert couple old fashions. I hope you won. I did. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, but it's like, I can still eat like that. And, mm, yeah. and, and to your point, like I still really enjoy a big meal. So like for what I'll do on a daily basis now, like if I know I want to pick out a dinner, I will cut back or I might fast till dinner or do something along those lines to just account for those calories. Cause I know that I'm going to eat big, especially if me and my wife go to a nice dinner or something like that ball player mentality is coming back out. Like I'm getting an appetizer. I'm getting a salad. I'm doing yeah. a meal. We might do just like, but I'm, I'm going to account for those calories. And, um, but it's amazing. And I, you've lost the weight as well. How, how good does your body feel now compared to what you did when it was playing? Oh man, I don't even know how I carried around 60 extra pounds. Like my knees feel so much better. My hips, my shoulders, my neck, like it's, it's really incredible. It's night and day. And it, it's one of the reasons you know, I decided to walk away. It was like, it was just so hard on my body. And my, my, probably my sixth or seventh year, I, re- I played eight years. Um, I started getting more into like trying to eat healthier and, and learning more about diet and nutrition. And I realized I can't be eating all these like processed like desserts and Oreos. And so I started eating like more paleo style, like natural foods. And it was really hard for me to keep that weight on. And I actually played my seventh year. I played at like 285. And I, the the team ended up signing me back to a one year deal, and they're like, "Joe, if we sign you back, you got to gain at least fifteen pounds. Like, we can't have you playing like this." And so I had to like revert back to some older habits of eating, and then that, that was when I had that awareness of how much nutrition and the food that we fuel our bodies with affects our energy levels. Because like eating like shit again, like really made it hard for me to get out of bed. I wasn't recovering as fast, and I really didn't like it. And I was like, really one of the things I was really excited about getting done playing football was so that I could lose the weight and feel what that was like. Yeah, it, it, to your point exactly. Later in my career, I was playing at about the same weight, right around 305. But my face and everything looked so much different because I was eating healthier. So I knew that like Sunday night after the games, Monday nights, like pig out, eat whatever you want, and those calories are good. Tuesday, you're probably going to feel kind of sluggish. That's fine. It's an off day. Get back on the wagon Tuesday. Let's get this done and eat healthier through the week. Um, I would get a food study done every year to see what my body was sensitive to. I would get a um, RMR done to see at a resting metabolic rate how many calories I was burning. And so I got really into it as well. And the bills actually were building my meals out for me based upon what foods worked well with my body, as well as how many calories I needed in a day, which at times like the amount of like brown rice I was trying to eat was literally impossible uh, (laughs) to to meet those calories and stay with the anti-inflammatory foods. But it's like my face looks, I, I was not stronger towards the end of my career. I was probably the exact same strength, the same weight, but just like, now I have a red, I'm red complected in general, a little rosacea going, but way less red, way less swollen. And it's like noticeable in pictures that wow. I wasn't eating the same crap as I was early in my career. Interesting. Yeah. It like affects more than just 
I mean, even the way we look and like the way we feel in pictures, like our energy, like we kind of glow almost like we feel younger, more energized. And um, yeah, it's really fascinating. Talk a little bit about the, how you adjusted um, kind of your workout schedule and your movement practices. Cause I, you know, it was a big journey for me trying to adjust from feeling like I had to be in the gym for an hour and a half or two hours. And I had to put the squat rack, you know, on my back and lift these heavy weights and, you know, getting more into uh, body weight movements, yoga, going for walks rather than trying to like do quick sprints and, you know, just trying to take care of my joints better. Talk about your journey with that. And was there a challenge? Yeah. So one of the ways I still do compete is physically and I'm not, uh, I'm not squatting super heavy weights and all that anymore. Um, it's more playing the long game, but I, I own part of a gym here in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's a performance deal. And we have boot camp classes for adults in the morning. So I'll hit one of those maybe once or twice a week. It's a high intensity interval training. It's generally not too, too heavy, but it's putting some wear and tear out there, but we wear the my zone monitor. So you can see who's working the hardest mm. and kind of compete through the class. And honestly, it, it makes me feel good to go in there and compete and win that day or whatever it may be. Even if someone beats me, I'm, I'm happy for them because I know I just worked my tail off. Good for you for push, you know, so that kind of gives me some competitiveness. I've gone on um, times where I'm more into hot yoga and whatnot. Love hot yoga, feel incredible afterwards. So I'll get in times where I'm doing more of that, more walking. I just got challenged by a buddy to do a hundred miles running by the new year. So get about like in a month or, Oh, we guess in the next uh, two months. Yeah, So you get like 58 days or something to do a hundred miles. Did you accept the challenge? I did. And I, and, <laughs> and I'm a little worried. I told him, I said, I'm going to do it unless I can't get out of bed in the morning. But for me, it's like, it gives me something to compete at. And yeah. I mean, I haven't ran a whole lot since my career ended. So I have some, you know, but I'm so much lighter now. It feels good to like, Go, like I ran five miles yesterday, which is the most I've ever ran at one time, and yeah. felt, felt pretty dang good afterwards. Like, yeah. and, and so, so you get to a point where, like, if you because I think us big guys we run a mile or mile and a half, and we never get to that point where we reach the runner's high where it actually feels good, where yeah. like the endorphins start releasing. And when you actually get there, you're like, oh, this is why people run, right? Yeah, and, and so this will be short lived because I don't want to do anything so repetitively that I'm just breaking down joints. Our bodies have enough wear and tear on them. Um, but I, I do like to compete working out and, and all that. So, um, it, it's also good to set a goal and go accomplish it. Right. And get outside your comfort zone. Cause there's a mindset piece to that. It's not just physical, like, and our bodies are so amazing at their ability to heal that if you use this to really push yourself, it almost like, you know, it, it creates this, this pride in yourself of being able to accomplish goals that you set out for yourself, stuff that you don't think you, you never even try to do. But when someone challenges you, like, okay, let me see if I can do that. And once you do it, it's almost, I don't need to do that again. I did it. Right. Exactly. And, and, and I love goals. I love competing. I like to play golf because I like to compete and I like to be outside. You're hanging with your buddies. I like to compete. Well, now I find myself taking more and more golf lessons because it's like, you want to be good at something. Yeah, get better. Are you pretty good at golf? Um, I'm a five or a six index, but it's like, nice. it's, all, it's all relative. Like I'll, I'll, so I'll tell that to somebody and they'll say, Holy smokes, you're really good. But they got a lot of guys I play with are around scratch or plus and yeah. so you need, you're trying to get on their level. Yes. Yeah. So it's all relative. Yeah, totally. So talk, let's talk about the, the, the purpose piece and trying to find out your identity back to that first year, really kind of struggling to find your way. Um, was there anything that was like, that stands out that was really challenging about that time. And um, how did you finally decide to start figuring out or was it like a slow process? 
it was a pretty slow process. I wish it was like a big epiphany moment, but it was a series of moments where, you know, I might be forwarded a Bible verse in the morning and, Ooh, that day that kind of hit me. And then I would have a conversation with someone. And ultimately what I, what I came to and still think about to this day, every single day is get outside yourself. Like it's not all about me, you know, Mm. um, we're all people. We all have issues. Everybody has struggles. Like get out of your own head, get others oriented and try and serve other people. And then you yourself will be refreshed and that'll get you out of your own feelings and your own pity or your own ego or whatever it may be, just trying to serve people. And it's like, as long as I try and take that approach to life, then I cut the anxiety. I cut the pressure out of all of it. And it's like, man, I'm just trying to serve and we'll see where. God, who he puts in my place or, or who I come across each day. Like I'm, I'm excited to see it, but you know, I just feel like as long as I keep an outward approach and, and I had a guy named Chris Burke, who's a former pro baseball player uh, on my podcast early on. And he's an incredible dude. And I, I asked him the same question, like, how'd you find your purpose after playing ball? And he's like, I just had to get out of my own head. I had to get out of my own head and, and just start focusing. Listen, on, right? On, yeah. Listen, um, focus on making an impact on people mm. as opposed to you trying to elevate yourself. It's like, no, how can I elevate others in my life? And you will feel reward from that. Yeah. So what, I love that. I feel the same way. I feel like the more I can slow down and I have these daily practices to slow down, it does take discipline to show up and really connect with your heart, with yourself and listen to what's trying to come through you. And that when you do show up with a heart of service, I've found that you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it, guides you in a beautiful way and brings people into your life. And it's almost like you don't have to go force and find a purpose that you think you need to do. It's like what, and that's why I like to say it's really fluid. It's not a thing that you go do. It's, a, it's something that, that wants to come through you and you have to find some stillness and quiet to figure out really what that is. Are there any practical tools or tips that you use to show up on a daily basis to kind of connect with that side of you? Yeah, I'm, I'm big on morning routines. And I, I didn't have one necessarily when I was playing. Towards the end of my career, I actually started meditating and doing some visualization stuff in the morning, um, mm. which, which I felt like just put me in a totally different mental space walking into the facility every day. We lived about a mile away from the stadium. And I started driving in in the morning. The lights are on. It's pitch black in Buffalo. Lights are on in the stadium every day, though. And I would drive in with music off, and I called it my gratitude drive. And I would just like... Mm. I switched my mindset completely to like, man, I have to go to work today. My knee feels like crap. I just broke, whatever it is, like I get to go work for the Buffalo Bills today. Like, I, if I would have told myself this when I was working at a cemetery in high school as a backup tight end my, when I was 17 years old, and I would have said, dude, one day you're going to marry the woman of your dreams. You're going to have healthy kids. You're going to play pro football, be a captain. of Like I would have been elated. And so I try mm. to push my mindset around that. And I still, to this day, every morning, some type of gratitude practice, I believe in writing down three things. It's been proven that over 30 days, if you write three things down, you're grateful for every single day, you start to rewire your brain because your brain doesn't want to stress itself out thinking about things in that moment. So it'll trick you into all throughout the day. You're like, man, I got to find those things so that tomorrow morning I can rush on to the next thing, but I'll know the things I need to write down. So either before mm. I go to bed, in the morning, three things I'm grateful for. Um, 
I do. I like to, I just want to say one thing real quick about the power of writing things down because I, you know, I started journaling and writing things down and just the process of, and I really connected that with when I played football and I would take notes all the time and I would rarely ever look back at my notes unless there was like some question I had before a game. But like when we do an install or a game plan, I would just write stuff down and just the act of writing it down would instill it and I would remember it. But if I wouldn't write it down, then I would have to think about, wait, what was that thing? And so it's almost like this, like you said, imprinting it on my brain. So if you apply that to a gratitude practice, it's imprinting gratitude in your brain. And it's like really beautiful. And I made that connection. It's like the power of just writing stuff down, even if you have a list of things you need to do in a day, even the act of writing that down will clear the loops in your mind of trying to remember it and it'll just literally imprint it. It's really fascinating. Absolutely. I love that. I was the same way, taking notes all throughout a meeting. Towards the end of your career, as you know, you've been through so many installs, you know the plays, it kind of keeps your attention locked in because Mm -hmm. you know how to run inside zone at this point. We're going to call it something maybe different. We might have a different terminology for what we're saying at the line of scrimmage, but it's the same play and I can block it versus anything. Like, can't believe I'm sitting here right now. But uh, but, so gratitude practice, uh, for me, I'm reading in the morning something, um, you know, whether it's a a book of someone that I'm maybe going to have on the podcast or whatever it may be, somewhere I'm trying to learn, expand, uh, you know, my view, whatever it may be, read something. Um, what are some uh, some good books that come to mind that that you would recommend to people who are trying to, you know, find more centeredness in their day or have changed, have, have had a huge impact on your life? Man, uh, so many, but um, there's a book by Joe Dispenza called Break the, Break the Habit of Being Yourself. Being yourself. Oh, yes. Have Game you changer. That? Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one was huge for me. Just working with habits, getting out of football, realizing all these thoughts I have are just how I was raised and whatever it may be. Um, that's a great one. I mean, I, I like a wide spectrum, so I can go from there to The Lone Survivor is one of my favorite military mm-hmm. books. There's an incredible book called The Boys in the Boat. It's about the Washington rowing team during uh, World War II time which is a fascinating read and just kind of, I never knew anything about rowing and you just do a deep dive into it, read a book like that. I love Malcolm Gladwell's works. Um, you know, outliers was his first big one and I, I love that book, but I've, I've read them all. Um, so, so I, I keep Beautiful. a pretty wide variety. And then, and then before I leave my office in the morning, I do some type of, um, meditation, quiet time. I, I use the Headspace app, but some mornings nice. I don't have 12 minutes and it's five minutes of just sitting there in peace, focus on my breathing and just try and be present because um, I, I find myself stacking my schedule throughout the day and sometimes not truly appreciating some of the moments I get mm. through the Headspace app. And, and, and I've, I've used different modalities for meditation. I, Everyone, you know, a lot of people say I'm not a great meditator. And I'm like, well, if anything, if I just sat there and breathed for 10 minutes and just let my mind kind of clear itself, it is even if I thought the whole time, I probably had too much on my mind anyways. And now I just got it out there. Exactly. Yeah, the process. So many people say I'm bad at meditating. They don't allow themselves to sit in silence because their their mind's so racing. And those are actually probably the people that need it the most. And Meditation is not something that you can do right or wrong. It's literally about increasing your awareness of those thoughts. And the more you sit down, you create space and you realize I am not my thoughts. So when something comes up during the day, you can see it objectively rather than being like, okay, I need to go do this thing or get triggered because I'm angry because this person cut me off. 
Talk about talk more about your meditation practice and how that's evolved. I know you said you started uh, towards the end of your career in football, and I was the same exact way because I had a lot of resistance to the idea of meditation. I grew up in a Christian household where it was kind of taught as Eastern mysticism, and it's how the devil gets its way into your thoughts. And it wasn't until these mindset coaches came to the Falcons and they're like, "Hey, this is a tool to train your mind. It can decrease anxiety, decrease stress, increase productivity, increase your performance on the field." And that's when I was like, "Okay, I'll give this thing a try." And it was really difficult. I think anybody that sits down and meditates for the first time is like, holy shit, I am crazy. Like, what is going on in my mind? I can't even sit still. Like, you know, you set a timer and you close your eyes and you're like, oh, okay, I'm done. And it's been 30 seconds. You're like, holy right. shit. But it takes discipline, right? And the more you show up and it's, it's all about, that's why they call it a meditation practice because it's all about the journey. And as soon as you stop meditating and you, those thoughts start getting infiltrating and getting kind of in the way more. So it is about showing up and having a disciplined practice. So talk a little bit about your journey with that and how it's evolved into now and how you use it as a tool. Yeah. So like, like I mentioned, like for me, it's all about being in the present and towards the end of my career, I wanted to do it for added performance. I wanted mm -hmm. to meditate before bed to sleep better, recover better, hit more REM sleep so I could recover better. And I wanted to do it first thing in the morning so I could be more present, be more clear minded throughout the day. I've always been kind of a mind racer type of dude. Um, mm -hmm. I'm always like kind of fiddling with something to kind of have two things going at once. And I feel like meditation has helped me focus. It's helped me be more present for moments in my life, it slows me down. Um, and, and I prefer a guided meditation, but for instance, Monday of this week, I woke up with a little anxiety, um, a little bit of anxiety from Sunday morning. Uh, with the neighborhood party and then just kind of led into I overloaded myself for Monday and I was like man I don't even want to do the headspace app like I need 15 minutes to like clear out and so I was just breathing there's a guy named Brandon uh, Bruchard um, I heard him talking about man if you got a lot just release release and it's just a quick over and over and over for 15 minutes I did that and then so much stuff came to my mind there's probably multiple times where I wasn't saying anything but man, it just like helped me, kind of like we were talking about be others oriented, kind of like helped me just clear my mind, get out of my own head. Like everything's going to be fine. Like mm. really there's, it's not life and death today, whether you're, uh, you know, everything that happened in the Bills game for all the post game coverage and what football game you got this week, like it'll work out. It's all. Mm. Yeah. I love that. So those are amazing tools. I mean, I love the morning routine. I do the same exact thing. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind that you do on a regular basis? Yeah. So like, well, before I start all that, I go in the, in our pantry that I mentioned earlier that I used to go stuff my face in instead of <laughs> filling a shaker bottle full of uh, a shake and all that. Now it's, um, I'll do 40 ounces of water with a little apple cider vinegar. Um, cinnamon is one of the, uh, best, uh, uh, spices for brain health. So put a bunch of cinnamon in there and some pink Himalaya salt to just fully hydrate myself. And that's just like, and I'll take a, a, some turmeric and stuff with that. And, and it's like just little wins like that throughout the morning. Even if you end up having a crappy day, you're like, man, at least I, at least I did that. Like I started my day right. And so I have like just a number of things. I, I like to work out in the morning when it's cold here. Uh, we leave our pool open. So I essentially have like a 44,000 gallon cold tub and nice. my neighbors think I'm crazy. And the kids love when I do a backflip in there, which is, uh, I, I had all these COVID goals of like maybe pick the guitar up or something. 
I, I did learn how to do a backflip. So yeah, uh, there you that's go. one good there thing that came from COVID, uh, skill, wise, skill acquisition wise. Um, but I like to get in there and, and I like to do all that, like kind of before the kids get up. So then I'm in like this awesome state, which it could be chaotic in the morning with the kids. Mm-hmm. Like at least I'm in this, like, at least I prep myself yeah. for this day. And like, it might go awry, but at least I won the morning. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then it creates momentum throughout the day where if you can start the day off, you know, with those small wins, like you said, it snow- has a snowball effect and it's easier to create those habits and it's, it kind of trickles throughout your day. I want to ask you, and I don't want to blow all my material for when you come on my podcast, but from playing pro ball and like analyzing your morning, is it tough for you to wake up sometimes without doing something active? Because like generally when you go to the facility in the morning, you're either rehabbing, working out, something or other to like get you going. I feel like to this day, I still have to like almost break a sweat before I'm like ready to roll. Yeah, I definitely get up. And the first thing I need to do is like, I, I, I start like shaking my body and like just moving and getting the energy going. And I just know like all the injuries are still so prevalent in my body, like my knees, my ankles, my neck, my shoulders. And so when I sleep for long periods of time, first thing I do when I wake up, I feel these like pains and these stiffnesses in my body. So I usually, you know, have a, I have a spiked foam roller. I roll out, I shake pretty, you know, just trying to get the energy flowing. And then I do some yoga flows to try and loosen up uh, my body in that way. And the days that I don't, if I don't do it for a few days, like my body gets really tight and it's almost like I look back and I'm, I'm, I have this gratitude for all of the trauma I put my body through because it forces me to be disciplined now. And without that, I don't know if I'd show up and do yoga as much, or I wouldn't show up and do as much of these practices to decrease my pain and my inflammation, because I have to, or else my day is going to be miserable. If I don't do yoga or move in the morning or get outside and walk and get the blood flowing, and if I don't eat properly, if I don't take the right supplements that are going to decrease my inflammation, if I eat a lot of processed foods, I literally can't function. And then that affects my stress level, my mental level. It affects my relationships, affects my presence and how I can show up in the day and my productivity. So it really like forces me into having to do these practices out of a need to like even interact with the world. Right. To your point about being inflamed when you're eating the processed foods and all that, like the other night I had too much to drink, had ate a bunch of crappy food. Uh, which I like giving myself releases like that. Like even during the season when I was playing, yeah. I would allow myself Sunday night to like eat bad, have some drinks, watch Sunday night football. We always went to the same Italian spot after games, but like that hit the reset button for me. Like I was so mm. ready to get back to work the next day that I feel like if I would have just like stay so structured, like I wish I had Tom Brady's discipline and structure out my whole, yeah. but I probably, maybe I do at this point. I don't think I did at the time. Like I really, yeah. I release and I still allow myself those, those times. And, at times you, you still get like that guilt from the body shaming and all that of yeah. seeing yourself back in that state, whatever it may be, you know, for me, an alcoholic father at times, like when I let loose, it's like, Ooh, did I look like that? Like, is that, mm-hmm. that that's some internalization stuff. But the other morning, my wife was like, your big toes and your fingers look like they're ready to explode. I'm like, <laughs> that's how I live my life in that state of inflammation yeah. for so long. And it's like, I'm glad you can tell the difference now. Because yeah. it shows like on a daily basis, I'm doing enough to keep the inflammation out. And like, I don't ache unless I eat bad and drink. And if I do, yeah. I'll get achy immediately. And I, I have some like sauna and cold tub and that kind of stuff. Just wipe it out pretty quick. Some supplements, tons of water. But it's like... Yeah, cool. yeah there's these tools we can learn about, right? But it is, I mean, even my, like when I travel, like my ankles swell up and it's so funny when it's like an actual, like people are like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, this is what I deal with. Like it's not, it doesn't, and it never goes away. Right. 
And like, to your point, I really like resetting too. Like it's, you got to have fun. Like we've, we've been gifted this experience of life to enjoy ourselves. And it's not all about being perfect and being structured. It's all about being intentional, right? If you intentionally want to let loose and have fun, like I think that's what I've found is as long as I'm intentional, then I then I kind of takes away the shame and the internal stories that we create. It's like I'm I'm out of control. I can't control this. I'm going to this. Like no, I I wanted to do this. I decided to. And I you know I'm okay with it. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's a phenomenal point too. And um, you know it's like when they when they examine cultures that live the longest, it's like yes, there's diet, yes, there's exercise and all that, but it's like they never say it's like the non non drinkers or whatever it may be. It's relationships. And it's like, you know, people are from different areas of the country. You're like, you don't necessarily have to have guilt about sharing a, a big meal one night at a nice restaurant with people. If you're connecting and you get fellowship from it, you connect with your wife over a bottle of wine, whatever it may be. It's like, that's, they've shown that that kind of bond does more for your longevity and health than maybe being 100% disciplined and structured all the time. Yeah. Because I mean, there's I mean, there's even a lot of research coming out about the mental state and the emotional state actually manifest into physical disease. So if you're fully structured all the time, but you're like constantly like almost shaming yourself to be in that state, but you're like eating all the right things, I mean, that's going to manifest into physical disease as well. And so it's really about finding this balance of like enjoying the experience of life and questioning the stories within yourself and finding that balance. And we're all different. And if we find that balance within ourselves, it's really an internal you know, story that we're telling ourselves. And once we find that, then we can like really enjoy the experience of life and be healthy and enjoy it. And yeah. You're spot on. Love it. All right. We're getting close to the end. Um, I'd love for you to kind of share, you know, maybe a single, maybe a couple of pieces of advice for, you know, other athletes, you know, maybe professional, maybe collegiate um, that are, are going through this transition process, maybe dealing with some of the challenges um, that, are, that we face, that we all face going through this, some advice for them? Yeah, let me, let me start off by saying, you know, I, I, I said this when I was playing and I continue to say it now, like when you're playing ball, don't feel bad about being all in on ball. Like you can be all in on that and people will say, man, find a passion outside of football so when you transition out, you can transition so smoothly into that. I think you need a foundation outside of football you know, whether that's family or faith or whatever it may be, but be very careful about pursuing another career while you're playing or else it's going to come a lot sooner and you're going to wish that you probably had that one extra contract or whatever it may be later when you were thinking, hey, I'm going to be a real estate tycoon or whatever it may be. So I will say that on the front end, go all in, be passionate, leave, leave the game with no regrets. And mm-hmm. then when you do transition out, it's going to happen inevitably to all of us man, surround yourself with the people that you want to be the average of. And, and hopefully you married well and your wife's one of those people. And surround yourself with buddies that you can grow from, you can learn from. Have conversations that stretch you outside of your comfort zone. And I heard Ed Milet say this recently and it, it really hit me because as I do the broadcast now and as I do the podcast and all this stuff, Ed, Ed Milet suggested seeking butterfly moments, like seek moments that give you butterflies because mm. we're not going to be able to run out of that tunnel again. And you get the butterflies and the emotion that comes from that. And that's great. Cherish those times, talk about them with your old teammates and all that, but find new moments that give you butterflies, like stretch yourself constantly, whether it's conversations, whether, whether it's a project, a service project, get outside yourself and, and seek moments that'll stretch you. Beautiful. 
Beautifully said. Thank you, brother. Um, final question. Um, what vision do you have for yourself individually moving forward? And what vision do you have, you know, for the collective, for humanity? What would you like to see change or happen? Wow, that's powerful. Um, so for me personally, I've struggled with this vision because I'm really enjoying broadcasting, but is my vision to be Tony Romo or is my vision to impact some people along the way? I'm not exact. It's hard for me to find like a vision or an avatar for myself, but I want to grow professionally. Um, I know I always want to put my family, my wife and my kids first, and that will probably hold me back career wise at some point, And that's fine. Hopefully my kids will appreciate that. Um, and let me backtrack for one second. Uh, you have a child coming into this world and you're talking about your injuries and the good things that come from your injuries. Well, your kids are never going to be able to see you play the game of football, but your scars are going to be great stories and reminders for them. Like, Hey, we have a lot of nice things and daddy works hard, but I tore up my knees, my shoulders, my neck for this. There was a lot of sacrifice because I go through the same thing. Like my kids were not old enough to appreciate me mm. playing in the NFL, but they sure see two leg breaks rods and all that. So let me, let me add that in there. I, I wish I would have done it uh, before, but as I see this vision for myself, man, I want to, I want to positively impact people and just trust. You say the universe, I say, God, and trust where the world is taking me and, and not put too much pressure on myself, but just understand that there's going to be great things that come from just serving others. And it may just be my family. It, it might be in mm -hmm. Kentucky, maybe worldwide. I don't know, but I'm going to be obedient to those nudges outside of my comfort zone. And then for humanity, my vision for humanity, man, I would just, I would love for people to uh, just have less hate and judgment and, uh, and more understanding. You know, I, it's been said a lot lately with the social injustice stuff that a locker room is a microcosm of what society should be. But it's amazing. Like if you could have come to the wood holiday parties up in Buffalo or Christmas and Thanksgiving, it was white, black people from all over the country. Nobody cared. We ate every different type of Thanksgiving food because everyone's from different places. And it's like, when you're on the same mission, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter. You know, if you work hard, I respect you. You treat people right. Like we can do this together. And I just wish there was more of that collectively. You know, we're in this time right now around this election and I just see stuff posted online, how polarizing everything is. And I understand that's the world we live in. That's politics in the U S and the system we've built, but it just, it's amazing how much hatred is out there for really no reason, in my opinion. Mm, couldn't agree more, man. Really beautifully said. Um, yeah, I'll give you a chance to kind of plug some of your stuff where people can find you and what you're working on and, and anything you got going on. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I have a podcast as well. It's called What's Next with Eric Wood. And uh, I get individuals like Joe uh, as well that, that come on, have impactful conversations that either about transitions in life, adversity, leadership, whatever it may be, just trying to spread positive messages that that hopefully after you listen to them, leave you with some nuggets that impact your life. Um, and then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at ewood70. And similar deal. It's funny. You know, when I played, it was all about ball. And now it's like, how can I elevate something someone else said or uh, spread some positivity? I, I tell my kids every morning when they go to their little school deal, like, what are you going to do today? Make it the best day ever. All right. How are you going to do that? Spread joy. And I'm like, that's all you got to do today. Just go spread joy. 
you know, and, and everything will take care of itself. So I, I try and do that through my social media. That's beautiful, man. And this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been really good to connect face to face finally. And I'm really looking forward to being on your podcast. I think we're doing it next week or the week after. Um, so just more good conversations to be had. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for the opportunity to come on. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Oh, thank you so much to Eric for coming on. He's an uh, amazing guy. It's really cool. That was the first time I've really had an actual conversation with him uh, face-to-face and definitely resonated. We have this uh, energy. I think it's just this idea of you know not only offensive linemen, but centers. They just understand each other better. And it was really cool having a conversation with him. I actually have the opportunity to be on his podcast in a couple of weeks. Uh, go check that out. I think it's uh, What's Next with Eric Wood. So go support him. He's been doing it a little bit longer than me. Um, He's got some really cool guests on there. And I'm really excited about that. During the podcast, we talked about the transition. And one of the biggest struggles, I think, for guys is feeling isolated, feeling alone. I know that was what happened to me going from uh, being in a locker room of a bunch of high-achieving, high-performing individuals to on my own. Uh, I really miss that. And that's why I've created a community uh, to help build a container for supporting guys who are transitioning out of professional sports. Uh, It's called the Heart Collective. If you are interested or you know someone that is interested and needs support from uh, a community of like-minded brothers uh, who have gone through or who are going through similar experiences, uh, you know, I know transitioning from sports comes with a lot of unique challenges. um, And we are such high achievers. We have such, such high potential to create a life for ourselves and reach for success outside of sports and achieve greatness. And we don't have to do it alone. And this community is not for guys who are really struggling. It's for guys who want to take their lives to the next level and want a community of support to reach that highest potential. We do weekly drop-in calls, uh, bring on thought leaders. You have access to a bunch of content and a secure community where you can engage with other members, uh, collaborate, create together and connect and just feel supported. Um, I, I'm excited about building this thing because it's something that I need dearly. And, you know, we all can use uh, a community, especially coming from uh, team sports like, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey. Um, you know, even if you're an Olympic athlete, an elite athlete, reach out to me. You can check it out at theheartcollective.com. That's the H A R T collective.com. Look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, peace.